Well, good morning, church family, and happy Independence Day weekend. So good to be with you guys today. If this is your very first time tuning in to a Life Church Buffalo experience online, let me introduce myself. My name is Pete, and I serve as the lead pastor here, and I want to tell you how much we consider it an honor and a privilege that on a holiday weekend, you would take some time out of your schedule to tune in and allow us to bring you some encouraging worship and, and a message from God's word. So good to be with you guys today. But listen, we are now just one week away from being able to gather together in person. After 17 weeks of church online, which I'm grateful for the technology, it has increased our reach, but there is no substitute to be able to gather together with God's people in person, experience his presence as a church family. You know, when Jesus said, I will build my church, he wasn't talking about a building. He was talking about a group of people. The word church is the word ecclesia, which is a gathering of called out ones who are sent out on mission. And I cannot wait to gather with you guys next Sunday. It's going to be awesome. You know, we have been planning and preparing for weeks to make sure that when you come next Sunday, the experiences are going to be safe, they're going to be spacious, they're going to be sanitized, but most importantly, they are going to be spectacular. You know, we, um, we wanted to let you know, Bethany mentioned a few moments ago of some things that are going to look and feel a little bit different, and I want to expound on that a little bit so that you hear it from me and so that we're all on the same page. And the first thing you need to know is that our service times are going to be different than they used to be. Prior to COVID, we had three Sunday morning services, but starting next Sunday, July 12th, we're going down to two services, and the service times will be at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., and Kids Life, our kids' ministry, and Arrow, which is our middle school student ministry, will only be available during the 11 a.m. experience. And so we're asking all of our families that have kids and students to please attend the 11 o'clock experience. To our church family that don't have children or students, or you are in the yellow light category and are a little bit more cautious, then the 9 o'clock experience is going to be the better option for you. But regardless of which service you attend, we're going to ask and require, as you heard Bethany say earlier, that you register for that service. This helps us to ensure that we adhere to the, the capacity restrictions that have been imposed so that we can maintain proper physical distancing measures. And so you can, the uh, registrations will be available starting this Wednesday, July 8th on our website. The webpage is lifechurchbuffalo.com slash COVID. That is the webpage we created at the beginning of all of this where we have you know, provided all of the update videos and the resources. And so that's the page you can go to to register. And we will email you a link to that this week so that you can register for it. So be on the lookout for lifechurchbuffalo.com slash COVID. And there'll be a form that you fill out. And after answering a couple questions, you'll just need to let us know how many people including kids, if applicable, will be coming with you next Sunday. Now, if you're not ready to come back just yet, which is completely fine, please know that uh, we're going to continue to bring you all of our online content. Our kids' life experiences will still be available at 8 a.m. for preschool or 9 a.m. for elementary, but our adult experience is going to move from 10 a.m. where it's been for the last little bit to 11 a.m. to coincide with our 11 o'clock in-person experience here. 
So I know that was a lot of information to throw at you, but it was important that we were able to communicate that to you. But we are really looking forward to worshiping with some of you here in person next Sunday. It is going to be epic. Now, one more announcement before I get into my message today. I know that for the last couple weeks, we have been uh, announcing and letting you know that Serve Day was going to be coming up this Saturday, July 11th. However, uh, because we've not been able to gather together in person just yet, we have decided to postpone Serve Day to August 15th is going to be the new date. Now, listen, I understand that a lot of things have changed around here, and it feels like that, and that's because it really has. We've been trying to do our best to pivot with new information and make the best decisions we know to make for our church family. And with this postponement, we are hopeful that not only will more of you be able to register, and we need you to register for it, but also that we'll be able to add more events so that we can make a greater impact as we get outside the four walls of our church to love and serve our community with intentional acts of Christ-likeness. If you're newer to our church and you've never participated in a serve day, then trust me, you're going to want to get involved with this. This is the time when we, you know, strategically and intentionally get out into the community and look for ways to love and serve our neighbors so that they know that they matter to us, they matter to God, and we love them, and God loves them very much. But last week, you know, we wrapped up our Dressed for Success series, and it's a series that I hope and pray was helpful for you. It was transformational for me just in preparing the messages each week. I hope it's a series that you'll revisit from time to time to just remind yourself of the purpose and the power of each piece of the armor of God that he's given to each one of us as his sons and daughters and followers of Jesus so that we can dress for success in the spiritual battles that we all face as followers of Jesus Christ. But today, with the postponement of Serve Day, which just happened in the middle of the week, I began the week preparing for a sermon that was intended to inspire you to, to sign up and get involved with Serve Day. But once we made that decision, uh, I had to kind of shift gears in the middle of the week. And today I've got a different type of message for you. Uh, something that is more of a devotional, really. And I just want to share with you from my heart some things that God has kind of been revealing to me and laying on my heart. And as I was reflecting this week on the celebration of our country's independence and the joy that I feel knowing that we're going to be together again next week, I thought it was the perfect time to um, celebrate our unity in Christ and the sacrifice he made to bring us true freedom by taking communion together as a church family. And so if you don't have your communion elements with you yet, I would encourage you to go ahead and grab those as we will take that at the end of the message. But at the beginning of this COVID crisis, I told the staff and may have even mentioned, I think, in a message earlier on in this thing, that I want to come out on the other side of this thing different than when I went in. I want to come out stronger on the other side of this than I was when all of this started. And as we're gearing up for regathering next week, I asked myself earlier this week, how am I different? How has this season changed me? Am I better for it? Am I stronger for it? And I challenged the staff earlier this week in staff meeting as well to ask themselves the same question. And today I want to ask you that question. How are you different as a result of this season? How have the last three and a half months 
changed you? And more specifically, how has this season changed your relationship with God? The most important relationship in our lives. For me, this season has certainly marked me in a way that I will not soon forget. But as I've done some serious soul searching this week, I kind of felt the Holy Spirit asking me an even more specific question that I want to talk to you about today. He asked me, has your dependence on me changed? And if I'm being completely honest and vulnerable with you, I would love to be able to answer that question with a resounding yes. God, I am definitely more aware of my need for you and more dependent on you than when this thing first began. But if I'm being honest with you, I don't know that I've really allowed the Holy Spirit to do the deep and transformative work in me that I know he's been wanting to do. And as I've tried to wrap my head around and understand why I've been so reluctant to relinquish the the control of my life to him and to trust and depend on him more fully for everything I need, I believe the Holy Spirit kind of showed me some things this week that I want to talk to you about today that it has a lot to do with the very thing that we are celebrating as a nation this weekend. And it's the word independence. Now listen, I love living In this country, I love the United States of America. I love the freedoms that we have in this country, freedoms that came to us when, you know, these 13 American colonies that we started out as declared that they would no longer be subject to the governing rule of Great Britain and that they were now united, free, independent states. But the authors who wrote the Declaration of Independence I think understood something that I think we as a people have forgotten about. I want to read something to you from the Declaration of Independence and focus in on one phrase. It's the very last sentence from the Declaration of Independence. And it says this, And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives our fortunes, and our sacred honor. The founders knew that this newfound freedom and independence depended on a reliance on the protection of divine providence, a reliance on God. You see, but I think we as people believe that independence is a firm reliance on self. This independent spirit is woven into the very fabric of our society. It's a part of our national psyche. This belief that freedom comes from a self-reliant independence, right? We experience this as kids and teenagers when we think that, you know, we're going to be really free when we declare our independence from mom and dad. When we move out of the house and we say, mom and dad, you can't tell me what I can or can't do anymore because I am free, And then when we get out on our own as adults, this mindset continues as we try to live life on our own. And the plan for many as they grow older is to move further and further out into the country, have enough land so that they don't even have to look at their neighbors if they don't want to. There's this idea that to be really successful in life, you don't have to depend on anyone. You can go it alone. That to experience real freedom, we have to be totally independent self-employed, self-sustaining, a self-made man or woman. But this belief of self-reliant independence has unfortunately also influenced 
the way we live out our faith. I think an independent spirit has crept into the American church and it has done so to our detriment. This belief that freedom comes from independence. But the main thought, the key idea that I want to give you today, and if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this down. We need to understand that freedom doesn't come from independence, but from living in dependence on God. I'm going to say that again so that it really sinks in. Freedom doesn't come from independence, but from living in dependence on God. The title of my message today is Independent or Independence. See, freedom isn't found in being able to live life on your own terms, do what you want and when you want and not need anyone, but from realizing how much you need Jesus for everything. And our freedom was the very reason that Jesus came. You see, Jesus announced the purpose of his arrival on earth. In Luke's gospel, at the beginning of his public ministry, after he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, and then he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he was tempted by the enemy for 40 days, and then he came back in the power of the Holy Spirit. He walked into the temple, and he was handed a scroll of the book of the prophet Isaiah, and he read from it, and what he read is recorded in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, when he reads, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came to set us all free from the power of sin and death and from the illusion of independence. The illusion that we can do life on our own and that we don't need him or anyone. The self-reliant independence is an illusion and Jesus came to set us free from that. The Apostle Paul would later affirm the purpose of Jesus' ministry when he wrote in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And then he says, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, when he wrote that last part, he was speaking specifically about those who would try to add a bunch of religious rules and regulations and human traditions to those who were coming to faith. They were saying, yes, you need to believe and trust in Jesus, but you also need to do this and this and this to stay right with God. And and Paul was saying, no, don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. But those words could also apply to personal habits and attitudes and mindsets that we have that allow to, that enslave us and weigh us down and steal our joy. If Jesus intended to set us free by his sacrificial death on Calvary's cross, then what are the things that we do or think that tie us up and enslave us again? Is it a habit? Maybe an addiction? Is it an unwillingness to forgive? Maybe an old prejudice or an independent spirit. See, Jesus died for our freedom. And if we allow anything to restrict us or shackle us from experiencing that freedom and live instead a sad and mediocre life, then we are missing out on his great gift. He he came to give us life and life more abundantly. And he paid for that with his own life. 
You know, as a pastor, it can be very easy for me to substitute my work for God as, and, and substitute that for my relationship with God. You know, I'm in the Word each week preparing sermons, but am I only doing it to prepare a sermon? Am I neglecting my need to be in God's Word just to feed my own soul and strengthen my relationship with Him? It can be very easy for me to slip into this mode where I'm just like going through the motions and operating and doing things in my own strength. But Jesus said in John chapter 15, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Jesus said, remain in me as I remain in you. No branch, he said, can bear fruit by itself. You can't bear fruit if you're independent. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Then he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can't do anything. And then in case they missed it, the first four times he said it, he says it again in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. You know, it's one thing to start off in his love. It's easy to start in his love. It's another thing to remain in his love, to rely on his love, to depend on his love. Why is it so hard for so many of us to remain in his love? I think it's the subtle sin of independence that pulls us away from his love. And yes, I said the sin of independence. And it's a sin because really at its root, it's a form of pride. When in independence, we think we can do it our own way and we can do it in our own strength instead of realizing our desperate need for his grace to sustain us and empower us every moment of every single day, it's pride. That self-reliant independence pulls us away from his love. Independence says, I've got this when we're on E and we're running on fumes, which reminds me of a pic I saw online earlier this week that I want to show you today. It said there are two types of people in this world. Type A says, you know, when their gas tank is on three quarters full, they say, oh my goodness, I need a fill up. Type B, the needle's on E and they're like, I've got this. I can make it. <laughs> I am definitely a B. Just ask my wife. I can't tell you how many times we've gotten into conversations. We're in frustration. She says, why didn't you fill up the car? She gets in it after I drove it, and it's on E. And I'm like, well, it's 26 miles to empty, and I only had 12 miles to go. <laughs> I don't know what type of person you are, but, you know, I think we do this sometimes in our spiritual lives as well. Too often, I'm on E on my spiritual tank. And I'm still saying, I got this. I can keep going. I can do this. You know, sure, we say we need God, but we don't really act like we do. You know, behavior proves belief. And our prayerlessness proves that we don't really believe that we need God. Prayer is not just some religious activity or exercise. Prayer is our declaration of daily dependence on God. Author and theologian Tim Keller said this, to pray is to accept that we are and always will be wholly dependent on God for everything. 
And this is why so many Christians, in my opinion, wind up living beneath their spiritual station in life as sons and daughters of God. They don't experience the abundant life he came to bring us and they wind up disillusioned with their faith because they wrongly believe that that abundant life is accessed through this self-reliant independence that we've got to make it happen and, and I can do this in my own strength. And they get disillusioned. But again, freedom doesn't come from independence. It comes from living in complete dependence on God. You know, the Israelites learned this after they acquired their freedom from bondage and slavery in Egypt. And as they were in the wilderness, God provided manna for them to eat every single day. It was food that appeared, this bread-like substance, the seed that they turned into bread that they would gather every day. And this was God trying to daily remind them of their daily dependence on him as their provider. God wanted to cultivate that sense of daily dependence on him by, by providing for their needs on a daily basis. And you guys, nothing has changed. Isn't that the point of the Lord's Prayer when Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day today our daily bread? But we want a one week or a one month or a one year supply, but God wants us to drop to our knees every day in raw dependence on him. See, God knows that if he provided too much too soon, we would lose our spiritual hunger, and that is what I don't want to happen in my life, and that's what I don't want to happen in your life, is that we would lose our spiritual hunger for God and our reliance and dependence on Him. He knows that if we stop trusting in Him as our provider, we'll start trusting in the provision instead. You know, one of the fundamental misunderstandings we have of spiritual maturity is thinking that it should result in self-sufficiency. When in reality, it's the exact opposite. The longer I follow Jesus, the more aware I should become of how much I need him for everything. The goal is not independence. The goal is complete and total dependence on God. And Jesus modeled this for us. When he said, I only do what, what the Father tells me to do. I only say what I hear the Father saying. He modeled what it looks like to live this, this life on this earth as a human being completely dependent on his heavenly father. We don't build true greatness in our lives or experience true freedom by adding self-esteem and self-reliance. We experience true freedom by subtracting self-reliance so that after our pride and independence has been stripped away, that's when Christ in us is revealed. See, our desire for self-sufficiency is really a subtle expression of our sinful nature. It's a, it's a desire to get to a place where we don't need God, we don't need faith, we don't need other people, we don't need to pray, we just, got, we just want God to provide more for us so we need him less. So I want to ask you, what has this crisis revealed to you about the condition of your own heart? Has it changed your dependence on God. You know, a couple months ago, I shared with the staff um, a passage of scripture that reveals six conditions of the human heart in crisis. And I want to share the first three of those conditions with you today. We're all in the midst of a global crisis, right? This coronavirus crisis that has been going on for 17 weeks or so now. 
And crisis has a way of revealing the condition of our hearts like nothing else does. And as I go through these three heart conditions, I want you to just ask yourself, which one am I? The scene is the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus would give his life on the cross. He's just finished his last supper with the disciples, the Passover meal, something that we will observe in just a few moments here. After supper, they would cross the Kidron Valley and enter the Garden of Gethsemane. And Gethsemane, the word Gethsemane in the original language means the press. So by sheer definition, Jesus and his disciples are in a crisis. Jesus knows what's coming and what he's about to have to walk through. And they are, by definition, in the press. They are in a crisis. And in Matthew 26, verse 36, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Jesus said, sit here. Isn't it interesting sometimes how God's instruction to us while we're in the middle of a crisis is to sit here and then it feels like he goes somewhere else. In oppressing, Jesus says, don't move. Don't run. Don't leave. Just sit here and learn to trust me in a deeper way. And the verses that follow are what reveal the six conditions of the human heart in crisis. And for the sake of time, I'm only going to talk about the first three. And they're seen in Jesus' interactions and responses. The last three are from the disciples. But in verse 37, Jesus took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he, Jesus, began to be sorrowful and troubled. The first condition of the human heart in crisis is the sorrowful or troubled heart. The troubled heart. I love that Jesus Christ, our Savior, showed us that being sorrowful and troubled in the midst of a crisis is okay. He was the leader of the group. He was the Son of God, and yet he himself was still troubled and sorrowful in his heart. And I can't tell you how much comfort that has brought to me because that is exactly where I have found my heart more times than I'd care to admit over the last four months. Facing all of the constantly changing realities of this, of this crisis and the weight of decisions that need to be made and the inability to, to be with all of you here on Sundays has, has caused my heart to be sorrowful and troubled a lot over these last few months. Speaking of a troubled heart, you know, a couple days ago, I had a dream. Now, what you need to understand about me is that I'm not a person who dreams regularly at all. I know they say we all dream, um, but I don't re really remember my dreams very often. My wife, on the other hand, wakes up almost every other morning saying, I had the craziest dream, and she remembers vivid details about her dreams, and she dreams in color. And if I remember one or two dreams in a year, it's a lot. And usually it's a vague recollection of, of something that happened during my sleep. But a couple nights ago, it was different. And it's the only time in my life that I can think of or remember where two or three times over the course of the night, I woke up from the dream because of how troubling it was. And then when I went back to sleep, I returned to the dream right where it had left off. That's never happened to me before. And the dream in a nutshell was that I was in a hospital. I was sick 
and I was dying. I had been given a terminal diagnosis. The doctors had given up all hope and, and said that there was nothing further that they could do. There were no other treatment options. And, you know, my family was trying to come to terms with the fact that I was going to be dying. And the doctor said dying very soon. But it was taking me longer to die in the dream than they had expected. They were surprised that I was hanging on as long as I was. And despite the diagnosis and the prognosis, I was still in my hospital bed saying that I'm not going to die. I was firmly convinced that I was going to somehow beat this, that God was going to do a miracle, even as I was watching all my vital signs on the monitor in my hospital room in my dream begin to drop. And the one uh, vital sign from the monitor that jumped out to me the most that I remember from my dream was my heart rate. And I watched it dropping from a normal range in the 80s down to the, the 70s and the 60s. And, you know, I was saying that I was going to be fine. And the doctor said, I don't even know how you're alive right now. You should be dead. And, and then I'd wake up and I would, I'd be troubled and I'd eventually fall back asleep. And I'd be right back there. And, and that heart rate just continued to drop further and further down to the point where it was somehow I was conscious and still watching my heart rate be in single digits. Woke up, obviously very troubled, explained the dream to my wife the next morning, and she says, do you think it means anything? And I said, I don't know, it could. I, I don't usually remember that vividly, the types of dreams that I have. And a couple days after that dream, so just a couple nights ago, a dear friend called me. Some of you may even know her. Her name is Sarah Grice. She was the former Kids Life Director here at Life Church Buffalo before God called her to Los Angeles, California a couple years ago. And uh, she called me to just say, hey, Pete, how are you doing? You know, you and Kelly and the kids have been on my heart a lot the last couple days, but when I woke up this morning, you were especially strong on my heart, and I was just calling to see if there's anything that I could pray for you about. And I proceeded to tell her the frustrations of the season that we've been in and going on vacation and, you know, coming back and having to quarantine and, and all of this stuff and not feeling like I was able to rest on vacation because it turned into a working vacation. And then, you know, having to postpone serve day and switch gears in the middle of the week to change the message and all of this stuff. And, and then I told her about the dream. And after I got done telling her about the dream, she proceeded to tell me, she said, you know, Pete, I don't know if that's a dream from God or, you know, an attempt of the enemy to instill fear in you that you're going to die or something like that. But a lot of times what God will do in his goodness and by the Holy Spirit is allow us to take that dream higher in an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father, who is the one who has the ultimate and final say in our lives to get his heart in the matter and to hear what he has to say about what you experienced. And sometimes it's even so that we can pray strategically against the enemy's schemes for our life. Because remember, in the last series, we talked about how he is, you know, scheming. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy every single one of us as followers of Jesus. And in the Old Testament, we saw that there was a prophet who, you know, would receive messages from God. Anytime the enemies of Israel would try to attack, God would tell the prophet where the enemy was going to be. The prophet would then tell the king of Israel where the enemy was going to be, and they would avoid and skirt the the attack, and it frustrated the enemy. And as sons and daughters of God, we have the same access and privilege, 
you know, to, to run boldly into the throne room of grace and to let the Holy Spirit reveal to us what the enemy is trying to plan for our lives so we can be equally strategic in how we combat his tactics and, and pray against those things. And then she proceeded to pray over me, and I wept and sobbed like a baby as, as she just prayed for God to, to breathe new life into me, and that even as in my dream I was in the hospital, she said, God, I pray right now you'd give him a supernatural you know, blood transfusion where your life would flow through him, and, and this slow death he was experiencing in his dream would turn into a, a new lease on life, and it was just a beautiful moment. And as I've been processing this over the last couple of days and even praying about it further, I feel like the Holy Spirit kind of revealed something to me, even in preparing for this message and in what, what Sarah shared with me in that this, this slow death I was experiencing in my dream and saying that I'm going to make it, I, I got this, was in some ways the Holy Spirit trying to show me that I'm, I'm, I'm too self-reliant, that, that I've lost the awareness of how much I need him to sustain me every day. It's okay to have a troubled and sorrowful heart in the midst of crisis. But notice what Jesus did. He didn't stay there. In verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me Yet not as I will, but as you will. Number two, here we see the tempted heart. This is the first and only time in Jesus' life where his will conflicted with his Father's will, which is a theological mind-bender for me, where if you ask someone, did Jesus ever want something different than his Father wanted? And according to this, he did. How many of you know that bargaining is a very real thing that we experience in the midst of crisis? And so is temptation. And Jesus was being tempted here. He was saying, Father, if there's any other way, like is there a shortcut? Is there another way around this that I don't have to go through? What I know has been part of your plan to redeem mankind, to restore them back to relationship with you, but I don't want to go through it. And we do the same thing, don't we? God, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. Don't make me go through this. I don't want to have to do it. And we bargain with God and we're tempted to take shortcuts over things that we know he's called us to do. It's the tempted heart. And so where or how are you being tempted right now in this season? Because our enemy, he is sneaky. Scripture says he's like a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. And in our moments of weakness, at times of crisis, that's when he wants to pounce. So that's when we have to be most aware and on guard of his attempts. Maybe you're being tempted to think that you can live for Christ in this current culture and climate in your own strength. It's a deception. We can't. But at the end of that verse, Jesus said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not what I want, Father, but what you want. And there's where we see the third condition of the human heart, which is the surrendered heart. The surrendered heart. See, Jesus loved the Father more than he loved his own life. He was in essence saying, I would rather do your will, Father, in pain and suffering than my will in ease and comfort. And oh my goodness, how does that challenge me to the core? And church, if I could just challenge you as your pastor, as a spiritual father and as a shepherd, 
over this spiritual house, this flock. This is the place that God wants all of us to be. This is the place he wants all of us to run back to, the place of deeper surrender, deeper dependency. That's the goal of the Christian life, to rely and depend on him for everything. So where is your heart today? Is your heart troubled? Is it sorrowful? Are you being tempted? This crisis is an opportunity to surrender to him and be reminded of your need for him. It's an opportunity for greater trust and deeper dependency, which is where true freedom is found. And so listen, today as we celebrate our country's freedom, let's remember that Christ came to set us free, not politically, but personally. And that freedom doesn't come from independence, but from living in dependence on him, complete and total dependence on him. And we want to remember today what Jesus did for us to purchase that freedom by taking communion together. So I would go ahead and grab your elements. And before we take them, I just want to remind you all of something that the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Corinthians when he gave them instructions on how they should approach the Lord's table and how they should take communion. And he writes this to them in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven when he says that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. There is a worthy manner to take it and an unworthy manner. He continues and says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, without looking below the surface and really understanding and realizing what these elements represent and the power that was contained in Christ's body and blood when he gave his life for us on the cross. If we partake of these things without discerning what it is, we eat and drink judgment on ourselves, is what Paul writes. And I don't want anyone to eat or drink judgment on themselves. So this is intended to be a time of reflection, a time of self-examination. And I want to encourage you to go ahead and right now where you're at, wherever you're watching this, to ask the Lord to reveal to you anything that needs to be forgiven any unrepentant sin, any anger you've expressed towards others or unforgiveness, or maybe it's a mindset, maybe it's an attitude of, of pride and independence that has crept into your even your relationship with God where you unknowingly, but through your actions, have, have told God, I don't need you, I can do this on my own, which is really just pride. And just confess that to him. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. A few verses earlier, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you or which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, the body of Jesus Christ was beaten and bruised and broken for us. 
And interestingly enough, you know, we as the church are called the body of Christ, that he is the head of the church and we are members of his body, different members that form different functions that are all part of the body of Christ. And when I look across the spectrum of the body of Christ today, there's a lot of brokenness in his body right now. I don't know about you, but I have sensed an increased spiritual attack of from our enemy attempting to sow division. Not surprisingly, considering what we've just spent the last two months talking about, acknowledging that we are fighting against spiritual forces of darkness in heavenly places and teaching you about the different pieces of armor so that you can continue to move forward and walk in victory that Jesus purchased for you. So it's not surprising to me that as we're doing that, that the enemy would increase the intensity of its attacks, but I've sensed it in my own marriage. My wife and I have been working through some things in the last couple of weeks. I've sensed the enemy trying to sow seeds of division here in our church. And you can sense it all around in the, in the world, in our country today. Can you think of a time in your life when we've been more divided, when you look at the political unrest, the, the racial tensions in our country, the body of Christ has some brokenness in it right now. And as we pause to remember what Jesus did for us, what he does in this moment is he, he does a miraculous healing work where he, as we remember him, he remembers the dismembered and broken parts of our body and begins putting us back together and bringing healing and wholeness where there's brokenness. And so as we pray and partake of the bread in just a moment. I want to encourage you to approach this moment with faith, believing that as you take this element and you swallow it and take it into your body, this is more than just a symbol. Now, we don't believe in the doctrine of transubstantiation here at this church, which is the doctrine that teaches that these elements become the actual physical body and blood of Jesus. But it's more than just a symbol, too. You see, when we attach our faith to this moment and we take these elements into us, realizing what they represent and the power that was contained in Christ's physical body and in his blood, that's when he can do a miracle on the inside of us. You can experience healing in this moment from your addiction, healing in your marriage, healing in your relationships. And so as I pray, I want to ask you to approach this moment with faith. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing your son's body to be broken for us. And as we look around at all the brokenness and look inside us and realize the brokenness that comes from from believing, God, that we could somehow do this apart from you. Lord, forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for our self-reliance, that independent spirit. Lord, and I pray that in this moment right now, you would do a miracle of healing and that you would remember the dismembered parts of your body, the, the broken pieces inside of us, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, God, that you would heal us. Bring wholeness to the brokenness of your body as we remember the brokenness that happened to your body. Thank you for your sacrifice, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
you can go ahead and eat the bread. Paul continues in his letter and writes, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The word covenant is a promise. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul adds this. He says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whenever we do this, we are proclaiming to ourselves, to the people around us, to the spiritual forces of darkness and heavenly places, what Christ's death has done for us and the victory that it purchased for us. And so I want to proclaim the Lord's death in this moment as we partake of these elements. I'm going to pray over the juice right now. Jesus, we know that scripture says that the life is in the blood and that there can be no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And Jesus, because of your great love for us, you left the glory and privilege of heaven to put on flesh and bone, become one of us, experience the frailty of humanity. And you became the sinless, perfect, sacrificial lamb of God when you spilled your blood so that our sins could be washed away, so that we could once again approach you and be restored to relationship with you, knowing that you tore down the wall of hostility that separated us from you because of our sin. You paid the price once and for all. And so God, would you help us and show us the areas of our life where we are still acting like we're captive and allowing the yoke of slavery to be put on us again because we are trying to do it in our own strength with a self-reliant spirit, Lord. You have completely set us free. So wherever we're not walking in freedom, God, would you help us to realize the power of this moment and what this blood purchased for us? God, we thank you. As the old hymn says, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Though our sins be as scarlet, they become white as snow when we place our trust in what you did for us on that cross 2,000 years ago. So Jesus, we say thank you for the new covenant in your blood. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's partake of the juice together. Well, church, I hope this message was an encouragement to you and that you would realize that true freedom, real freedom, is not found in independence. I love the independent United States of America, but true freedom is found in living in dependence on our Heavenly Father. I want to close with a benediction, a couple of verses from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26, which has been turned into a worship song that is going crazy right now. Many of you have heard it, I'm sure, called The Blessing. And this is really the Father's heart for his children. And this is what I want to pray over you this Independence Day weekend. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
the Lord turn his face towards you and may he give you his peace. Church, I love you so much. I hope you have a fantastic week and weekend. Can't wait to see some of you back here in person next Sunday. God bless and have a great week.